0: This is the waves. This This is is the the waves. waves. This is the waves. This is the waves. This is the waves. This is the waves. Welcome to the waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and today our skin. Every episode you get a new pair of feminists to talk about the thing we can't get off of our minds. And today you've got me, Shannon Paulus, a senior editor at Slate.
1: And me, Jessica DeFino, a freelance beauty reporter for Slate, The New York Times, Vogue, and more, and the writer of the weekly beauty newsletter, The Unpublishable.
0: Today we're going to be talking about skincare and why it's kind of a scam. I've been interested in this topic for a really long time. Before I came to Slate, I was a health reporter, at wire cutter The New York Times' product recommendation site. And as a science journalist, I've spent a lot of time both there and at Slate, digging into the science behind skincare and what works and what doesn't work. And I'm really excited to talk to Jess today, who recently wrote a piece for Slate on why maybe the entire premise that your skin needs all this additional and expensive care is misguided. Jess, why did you want to talk about this? This is a topic that I can't stop thinking about
1: because for most of my life, I was obsessed with products and prescriptions. Um, I've always had problem skin and tried everything, Accutane, birth control, antibiotics, retinoids, um, steroids, plus, you know, all the -the over-the-counter skincare you could possibly imagine. I basically had like a breakdown in my mid-20s and stopped using skincare entirely because I was so frustrated and my skin was so damaged And lo and behold, my skin healed more in that week than it ever had before. At the time, I was a beauty writer for the official Kardashian-Jenner apps. And so I sort of leveraged my position in the industry to figure out what was happening to me, like scientifically, like why had nothing done more for my skin than everything? And I discovered the science of the skin's inherent functions and the science of how products disrupt these functions. And I ended up pivoting into beauty reporting to try to get this information out into the mainstream beauty industry. Of course, once I started working in the beauty industry, I realized why none of this information is out there, be it advertisers or affiliate sales, just general consumerism. So I was thrilled
0: when Slate gave me a chance to wax poetic about the wonder of the skin. I'm gonna need to hear a little bit more later about um, what being a writer for the official Kardashian-Jenner apps is like. But first, we're gonna get into a little bit about your piece, Your Skin Doesn't Need Skin Care. Listeners, if you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes too, like last week's about women in the fitness industry.
1: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus,
0: So we're going to start by talking about your piece, uh, Your Skin Doesn't Need Skin Care. You mentioned a little bit in your intro that it can be really hard to write about these topics um, for mainstream publications, and you have a substack called The Unpublishable. So I'm wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about the process of pitching this piece and the process of trying to land pieces in outlets where you're kind of going against the grain of, like, you need to buy something for your skin.
1: Yeah, so I have actually been pitching this piece for almost 2 years before it finally found a home with Slate. And I started by pitching it to like the traditional beauty outlets that I typically write for because I guess my my motivation is like I want to talk to people where they're at. Like where are people getting most of their skincare information and how can I sort of infiltrate that space and be like, "No, you actually don't need it." Um but yeah, like I said, it is pretty hard to get it out there. So the piece was rejected by most places. Uh, I did get it placed in one like pretty prominent beauty publication. And then in the editing process, they wanted me to add all these caveats about products you could possibly use. And it just became too much. And I I ended up pulling it because I was like, this is not the story that I want to tell. Like, I don't want to add product placements in here. Um, so yeah, it, it, is, it is really hard. One, one of the pieces of feedback that I got was... We could publish something like this, but only if you told it as a first person essay, because it's easier to defend to our advertisers. It's, if it's coming out of your mouth rather than the authoritative voice of the publication, just know that advertising really does affect the content that gets out
0: there. And can you sum up for our listeners who haven't yet read the piece? Why doesn't your skin need skincare? And certainly not to the extent that you would think that it needs skincare.
1: Sure. I mean, well, first, I'd like to say, like, examine your definition of need. <laughs> A lot of people were upset at the at the headline. They were like, what do you mean my skin doesn't need skincare? It's like, sure, you might want skincare. Some skincare could be useful if you're experiencing issues, but bottom line, your skin doesn't need skincare. Human skin has evolved over a millennia to not need skincare, um, And it has built-in functions to self-cleanse, self-moisturize, self-exfoliate, self-protect, and self-heal. And generally, if you are supporting your skin through things like lifestyle practices and reducing your stress and getting the right nutrients your skin needs to perform these functions... It will do all of that for you without product intervention. And actually, product intervention makes it a lot harder for your skin to perform its natural duties. So we're just we're making it a lot harder on ourselves.
0: You have this one line in the piece that I really like that says, where do you think the big beauty brands get all of their ideas anyway? And it's this idea that, you know, your skin is exfoliating and moisturizing and doing all of these functions that then companies kind of come in and say, well, we can help your skin do it even better. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the the basis of basically any product on the market is
1: rooted in what does the skin need and what does the skin already do and how can we outsource this function to a product to make money, basically. Even, Even as far as the ingredients that are marketed, like some of the trendiest ingredients right now, ceramides, peptides, hyaluronic acid, collagen, probiotics, prebiotics, your body produces all of these things naturally. Your skin has them naturally. I sort of think of it as a form of extractive capitalism because it's this industry coming in saying, oh, wow, look at what the skin can do. Let's find a way to take this away, put it in a bottle and sell it back to them. And in the process, it devalues how incredible your skin is on its own. It makes people think, oh, my skin is lacking. I need this external product when really your skin is producing it anyway.
0: One of my science writer friends, Christy Ashwanden, wrote this book called Good to Go. It's about recovery from exercise and you can be sold all of these things to help you recover better from special beers to like big massage, like things that go on your legs and like, mush around the lactic acid. And she found that the answer to how to recover better is to give your body time to rest. Your thesis is kind of, well, the answer to having better skin is like, give your skin space to do its thing. You don't need all of this assistance.
1: A hundred percent. Like, it's so much simpler than we we think it is because the skin is so inherently complex. Like, the technology that we come up with is never going to match what's already happening within the the layer of your skin.
0: So you do do some things to your skin. What is your skincare routine like right now? Yeah, my skincare routine is really minimal.
1: Like some days I'll do nothing, especially if I'm in writing mode and I'm just like home at my desk, not going anywhere. Like I won't wash my face. It's fine. I cleanse at night with pure Monica honey. So Monica honey is, its incredible. it's a humectant, it's a prebiotic, it's an antioxidant, um, and it has like a lot of natural um, skin healing properties. Like even Western hospitals will keep it um, in burn units because it's so effective at, at healing compromised skin. So I just cleanse with Manuka honey, rinse that off with water. And at night, I I don't put anything else on. Night is sort of when your skin goes into like repair and renew mode. And in order to do that, it needs to communicate with its environment to see like what's happening. What do I need? What sort of protective mechanisms do I need to kick into gear? So I like to just leave nothing on my skin at night. I do have skin that's on the drier side since I was on Accutane in my younger years and that um, damaged the function of my sebaceous gland, So my skin doesn't produce enough oil naturally. So if my skin is feeling dry during the day, I'll use jojoba oil. I'll apply it onto damp skin. Jojoba oil is um, a 97% chemical match to human sebum. So the skin really responds well to it because it recognizes it as like, oh, this is something we know how to work with. Um, and yeah, that that's basically it. Monica and jojoba are like my, my go-tos. And then of course, I always like I do use SPF when I go outside. (laughs) People are, that's like the number one question I get when I say don't use skincare. Everyone's like, well, what about sun protection? Yes, of course I use SPF. (laughs) I use uh, Cary Gran Essential SPF.
0: SPF is the most underrated skincare product in my opinion. I like think that all of the like, you know, anti-aging products that are like, this will help like reduce wrinkles and Da, da 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 da. Like when I've talked to dermatologists um, for reporting, they've said, really, the most important thing is to just protect your skin in the first place. Whether it's SPF or like wearing a hat, like that, that will do the trick. And you don't have to buy expensive SPF. You can find SPF in bulk at Walmart, or even if you want mineral SPF, that's at your average CVS. You can find like zinc, zinc based SPF. That was, like, this huge eye-opener that, like, wow, skincare is, like, even if you're coming at it from a vanity perspective, it's just so much more complicated than it needs to be when you, like, really start getting caught up in, like, which cream is best, it's can I spend like, you know, this much money on a drunk elephant, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. When you come at it from the perspective of skin
1: first, rather than product first, you realize like you don't actually have to waste your time learning all of these fancy factoids about acids and different chemicals and what combines well. And can you do a retinoid and a vitamin C? Like we're honestly just wasting so much of our time and brain space on questions that don't really need to be answered. If you start with the foundational functions of the skin and and go from there.
0: What has your acne journey been like? One of the like reasonable pieces of pushback to a piece like you don't need skincare is like, oh, well, like, you know, I have acne and obviously I need to do things to my skin to like take care of the acne. What is your response to that?
1: People all the time tend to think like, oh, you're just blessed with perfect skin. Like, of course you don't use skincare. No, I've had like the longest, roughest, Journey with my skin, um, starting probably at 13, was when I first got first started to get acne. And probably at 15, I went on birth control specifically to try and heal the acne. Um, when that didn't work, I went on Accutane, which worked for a little bit, but really just demolished my skin in the process and gave me all of these other skin issues. And then Probably like in my mid-twenties, like with some hormonal changes, uh, my hormonal acne came back like with a vengeance. But basically, acne doesn't necessarily require topical products to heal. And I know that sounds like wild, but it truly does not. <laughs> acne is a combination of things. It's inflammation. It is an imbalanced microbiome. So acne causing bacteria, that's actually like a huge Misnomer. It's the P. acneous bacteria. It's present on healthy skin microbiomes. Your skin actually needs it in order to function. And actually that bacteria produces antioxidants that actually help protect your skin. So you need that to a degree. When the skin microbiome is compromised, it can cause an overgrowth of that particular bacteria, which can cause acne. And then you have to look at, well, why is my skin microbiome compromised? And a lot of that comes down to product interference on the surface, and a lot of it comes down to gut issues because the gut and the skin are inherently interconnected. The gut, the brain, and the skin actually all start out as the same bit of embryonic tissue in utero. It forms something called the gut-brain-skin axis. So those three organs just talk to each other like for life. They are inherently connected. So basically anything that's happening in your gut can show up on your skin. And a lot of that is where acne stems from. Um, So I have been able to manage my acne completely product free. And I've had much better results than I ever had with products um, in that regard. And the other thing that I always like to Mentioned too is like the point is not to eliminate acne from your life entirely. The skin is a communication device, that's one of its jobs. Like, the skin doesn't exist to look perfect and pretty and dewy, the skin exists to like regulate your functions and keep you alive. It's part of your immune system. So, if you have acne, it's a communication. That something is imbalanced elsewhere, whether that's the environment, your external environment, your internal environment, and it's pointing you toward like what is actually happening to find the root issue and address it. And products will never be that.
0: I've come down in like a little bit of a different place with you on the topical stuff. Actually, one of my best derm consults ever happened early in the pandemic when everything was virtual, and I like sent in pictures of like st- some stubborn acne. And I think because they couldn't spend a lot of time recommending complicated things to me or trying to upsell me on, like, a chemical peel, which has also happened, he was like, just go to the drugstore, get something with this ingredient, put it on at this time. If you need extra help, use different." And so I've settled on, like, what is compared to, like, many people and, like, my past self, an extremely basic routine that has done wonders.
1: Yeah. I mean, like everyone's skin is different. Everyone's skin is going to respond to different things. And like, there's also a convenience factor. Like some people just truly do not want to deal with investigating some of these internal causes or, you know, really enjoy using skincare. And in those cases, like products can do things. It's not that they don't have any effect. And so if you find something that works for you and you're happy, like great.
0: So Jess, I think you could just say skincare is a scam. It's, kind of silly we we don't need all of this stuff. I'm gonna like move on with my life and think about something else. but you were pretty invested in thinking about skin and and what we do to our skin. Why shape your career around it? I don't think it's silly
1: at all. I think it's really serious through years of researching the skin and beauty standards, which are why we do all the things we do to our skin. I've come to like understand just how harmful our beauty behaviors can be, not just in terms of skin health, which is of course a thing, but in terms of mental health, like I think a lot of times skincare is messaged as self-care and um, tool for confidence and self-esteem, but the data bears out like a very different story. So this like all encompassing focus on our physical appearance and manipulating it and trying to emulate a Windexed window Contributes to anxiety, depression, body dysmorphia, facial dysmorphia, eating disorders, appearance obsession, um, addiction to cosmetic procedures is a very real thing, um, self-harm and and even suicide. So it's not that these beauty behaviors are like fun and self-care and self-expression like a lot of times they have a much deeper impact on us psychologically. And that is really what I'm interested in sort of addressing and correcting. I always say skincare culture is like dewy diet culture. It's all about manipulating your physical appearance to approximate the current cultural ideal. And just like we've seen the harm of diet culture, we can apply basically all of that to skincare culture, too. Um, And just the consumerism of it all is like destroying the planet at a time when we really need to be focusing on um, the health of our environment and addressing climate change. And it's just so bizarre to me that we keep buying and buying and buying and buying these useless, unnecessary products when we need to focus on downsizing.
0: We're going to take a quick break here, but if you want to hear more from Jess and myself on another topic, check out our Waves Plus segment, Is This Feminist?, Today, we're debating whether bar soap is feminist. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate+. Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast and bonus content on shows like this one. To learn more, go to slate.com slash thewavesplus. Jess, you recently wrote about, quote unquote, divesting from celebrity skincare in your newsletter, and you've previously written about the wild rise in celebrity skincare brands. Um, So what is the issue with Kate Hudson or Jennifer Lopez selling us things to put on our faces?
1: Oh, there's so many issues. Um, First of all, like none of these celebrities are, are selling you what they use to look the way they look, right? Like their looks come first largely through genetics and then through like expensive procedures and injectables and surgeries. And then they get the opportunity to like launch a skincare line. They're not beauty experts or skincare experts. They're not like inventing ingredients in a lab. (laughs) They're not adding anything useful to the space at all. They're just like crowding an already very overcrowded consumer goods market with nothing, with just like a bunch of fluff. Um, And then I also have a problem with the fact that so many of them try to like sell these stories behind the brand as like some altruistic thing. Like Kate Hudson, when she launched her face mask, she was like, this is about quiet moments alone of ritual. And it's like, that's lovely. That doesn't require a face mask. (laughs) Like if what you want to promote is quiet moments alone, why launch a product? It's all backwards.
0: Even coming from the premise of, like, you can accomplish that with a face mask or, like, a face wash or something, I bet people have things in their cabinets right now that could... Of course. (laughs) Certainly, like, cleansing your face could be meditative, but, like, do you need a different cleanser (laughs) than, like, (laughs) what is it about Kate Hudson's that, like, promotes meditation?
1: It's all nonsensical when you actually, like, dig into some of these claims.
0: Could you tell me a little bit more about being a writer for the Kardashian-Jenner apps and what that entailed, speaking of celebrities? Yeah, it was pretty wild. I mean, it was at a very
1: different point in my life. I didn't have a lot of the beliefs I have about beauty now that I did back then. I basically focused on Chloe's app. So I was like fake internet Chloe for a couple of years. And she was amazing. I, I really lucked out working with her because she was really fun. She let us do like wild things on the app. Yeah, it was interesting. It was also the first time in my life that PR, like beauty PR, started sending products for me to test and hopefully write about on the app. And I think that's what kickstarted a lot of my thoughts on the beauty industry, because suddenly I was getting all of these free products, you know, all of the fanciest stuff. And I was using it and my skin was freaking out. I think it was like a combination of all the products and all of the stress of like working for the Kardashians that really like threw my skin into a really low period and sparked my interest in like well why do i care about using all these products why does it feel prestigious to put la mer on my face when i know it's hurting my skin it really did make me think
0: the onslaught of products when you're writing editorial stuff about products it can be really intense I, and i think a lot of people don't realize beauty editors at magazines or for apps get sent all of this stuff for free. So when they're telling you that, like, you must have this $95 cream, they didn't pay for that.
1: No, not at all. It's
0: really interesting to me because I feel like beauty
1: reporting and beauty journalism, you know, quote-unquote journalism, is so different from reporting in any other sector. Like, in any other field, you're not allowed to accept gifts. You're not allowed to get payment from brands. You're not allowed to go on trips with brands. Um, because it does affect your judgment, subconsciously, you know, it's not that like the beauty media is like, ah, I'm going to promote this product because they paid me to do it. You know, you really do think that you're being objective, but when like compensation comes into it and glamorous trips around the world come into it, it does subconsciously affect what you're putting out there. And it feels like beauty is kind of the only place where that's the norm. And it's just like, trusted by the general
0: public and it's okay. When someone's being nice to you, your instinct is to be nice back to them. And if that means like including their product in a roundup, these are human beings reaching out to you with fancy things and sending you gifts and, you know, talking to you and trying to like get to know what you cover and what you like and what your experience was like.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's I mean, there's so much that goes into it and that affects what information gets
0: out, out into the world. There's also, and I'm wondering if this is something you experienced as like a baby beauty writer where like you just have the churn of having to produce more stories.
1: Yeah. This is one of the biggest, my biggest issues with with beauty media in general is just how much content you are expected to put out and how quickly and the purpose of that content. So for instance, I was on staff as, as a beauty writer for about a year somewhere and it was three days a week six-hour shifts. And in that time, I was expected to put out six to eight stories. So that gives you about an hour and a half per story or two hours per story to come up with an idea for a story, research it, decide what brands to reach out to, dermatologists, get quotes from everybody, put all of that information into a story, edit it. Grab the pictures, and put together a product shopping carousel. So the way that beauty media works, it's impossible to put out quality content that's been fact-checked and isn't just like ripped from a press release. I wrote a lot of stuff that I am not proud of today because those were the demands of the job. And everything had to have a product tie-in. Everything had to be shoppable in some way. Certain products were you know, I was asked to put them in because we're building a relationship with so-and-so advertiser or we're building a relationship with so-and-so PR. It's really convoluted and it's really hard. It's really hard to make quality content under those conditions.
0: My eyebrows are raised over here. (laughs) (laughs) It's always like, I know this stuff and it's always like kind of frightening to hear it so explicitly. It is so far away from the premise of like, You've gotten to this stance where you're very, like, you know, my skin mostly cleanses itself. I'm not using anything. And, like, I find myself in, like, slightly more of a middle ground where, like, I'm going to, like, find the one or two things that are, like, topical and, like, do things to my face that I like to use. But the beauty churn, it doesn't even want me to, like, rest there. It 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 wants us to find more and more things and different things and if the goal of any of these brands or apps were really to help you, like, find products that work for your face or to have you have healthy skin, they would be offering you, like, a couple service pieces that are, like, updated mm-hmm. sometimes when a new Exactly. Comes out. That's why, like, I don't pay attention to, like, new
1: ingredients or trends anymore. And if you focus on the foundational information of how your skin actually functions you don't have to because that doesn't change the trends change but how your skin works doesn't and that information will always serve you and you can sort of just absorb that basic information and chill and like not have to worry about it because you know what your skin is doing and why
0: So I love that as advice, just like ignore the skincare trends, like try to build on like scientific information and like what's working for you. Why do we think that this industry is targeting women and why do we think that it keeps working?
1: Oh, there are so many factors. I mean, beauty has been messaged as an ethical ideal As a moral imperative for thousands and thousands of years, Um, even with phrases like good skin and bad skin, those words really do like seep into your subconscious and affect why you do what you do. So in our like quest for beauty and our quest for perfection, it's actually a quest for goodness, you know, for like being a good person because that's what this has been messaged as, especially with the shift to skincare as being a form of self care and a form of skin health. I think we have different ideas about what funneling time into our skin says about us rather than like using that time for makeup or something else. You know, it, it feels like more pure and altruistic and like, this is for my health. It's not obsession with my appearance and then I think, like, the science factor, you know, the science of skincare is a huge thing right now. And that allows us to sort of gather up all of these little scientific bits of knowledge about how certain ingredients work. And when we're like, oh, I, I'm a smart woman, that language really feeds into that. And so you feel smart and good and worthy when you're gathering up all of this, you know, quote unquote, scientific knowledge about skincare.
0: It's almost as though, like, in some ways we're moving deeper into, like, a beauty-obsessed culture right now. But I think in some ways the trend towards, like, the science of skincare makes you think that, like... I'm not a vain person. I'm not looks obsessed, but like I am rational and I am logical and I do like being on the cutting edge of things. So like buying this stuff is going to be allow me to like show off my chemistry prowess in this
1: <laughs> kind of demented way. That's totally what it is. It's sort of like this surface level rejection of Beauty and what beauty has traditionally meant. And I think we can sort of like conflate that as almost a feminist thing. Like, I'm rejecting beauty and I'm embracing logic and rationale and science and health. And this is for my health and well being when really it's just a bunch of beauty standards.
0: Before we head out, we want to give you some recommendations. Jess, what are you loving right now? I have been
1: loving my Angela Calia vibrating Rose Quartz facial massager. (laughs) Facial massaging tools are some of my favorites because they don't actually require like a product. It's sort of this external skincare that doesn't mess with my skin barrier. But the reason I've been loving this facial roller is because I've had a lot of jaw tension lately. I think I've been like clenching my jaw in my sleep. And so I've been massaging my jaw sockets with the vibration of the roller and oh my God, It's it's been
0: life-changing, immediate relief. That seems like a very good use for a facial roller. I would like to recommend the Peloton app and not buying a piece of Peloton equipment, but downloading the app. It comes with a free trial for a month and then after that, it's 13 bucks. And I use the app on the equipment at my $10 a month gym. It's been a really fun, just a fun thing to try and like do something new in my running routine. I like the music. I like the corny sayings. And I think in the context of this episode, what I am learning more and more about myself as I get slightly older is that the best thing that I can do for my self-esteem is like go for a run. And... I call it exercise goggles. I actually think that I look different after I go for, like, a hard run. And I think it's just my brain flooding with, like, endorphins and self-esteem and, like, feeling like my body is useful for something, et cetera, et cetera.
1: I always say exercise is skincare because you sweat, which is an inherent cleanser. Your body produces antioxidants, so you don't have to put them on your face in a serum. (laughs) And it increases circulation, which does make your face look different.
0: There you go. <laughs> go for a run or whatever. Whatever form of exercise um, feels good for you. That's our show this week. The
1: Waves is produced by Shana Roth. Shannon Paulus is our editorial director with June Thomas providing oversight and moral support.
0: We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewavesitslate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts...